Hello, everybody, and welcome back to What's Your Point, the podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee, and today I wanted to talk to you about the Ghislaine Maxwell trial. That has been something that's been on and off social media lately, and not a lot of people are talking about it, especially politicians, especially celebrities, and especially news media outlets. Nobody seems to be talking about it. It's very concerning because you have to know that this is one of the biggest cases going on right now, and it's terrifying. If you don't know who Ghislaine Maxwell is, she's the girlfriend of Jeffrey Epstein. And if you're listening to this, you probably already know who Jeffrey Epstein is, so I'm not going to really go into who he is, or, well, I should say was, Um, but he is very creepy, very scary, and uh, he did not kill himself, so I'm going to go ahead and say that real quick already. Yeah, so the trial had started on November 29th, and that's been going on for about, I don't know, two weeks now. There's been a lot of revelations within the case, But like I said, nobody's talking about it. Nobody's speaking up about it. In fact, there's a lot of other things that are completely distracting you from it, like the Spider-Man movie and the new variant of COVID that has just come out. There's a lot of other things that the news is talking about because they don't want you to talk about this trial. So Ghislaine Maxwell is 59 years old. She's the former girlfriend of Jeffrey Epstein and I guess I could say business partner. And she basically operated as Jeffrey Epstein's enabler in luring like vulnerable teenage girls with promises of money and attention and gifts and everything like that. And this went on for years. It's essentially referred to as a pyramid scheme of abuse and it's sick. Right now, on trial, she's facing six different charges, which is one each of enticement of a minor to travel to engage in illegal sex acts, transportation of a minor with the intent to engage in illegal sex acts, sex trafficking a minor, and three counts of conspiracy related to other counts. Since then, she's denied all charges and she claims that she's not guilty. So day one was spent having the opening arguments from the defense attorneys and the prosecutors. So it started off with the prosecutor, and her name is Laura Pomerantz, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, but she basically painted Ghislaine Maxwell as a predator who manipulated young girls and served them up to be sexually abused. And while the prosecution was giving her opening statements, she happened to mention Jeffrey Epstein's name multiple times, and some people had a problem with that because people don't like the fact that they're trying to connect Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell's trial together, but I don't think there's a problem with that considering these two were basically working together. They were referred to as partners in crime. Therefore, I do believe that Ghislaine Maxwell is operating as almost Jeffrey Epstein's proxy because obviously he's not here to be able to do his own trial. So it's kind of fair to say that Ghislaine Maxwell is on trial for everything she's done and everything he's done. And they're both equally guilty for everything that they put these poor women through. Now, the defense attorney's opening statements were very, very random, and they kind of went off the rails because immediately she went ahead in her defense and started using a biblical reference to Adam and Eve to argue that women had been blamed for the evils of men since the Garden of Eden. She says, quote, The charges against Ghislaine Maxwell are for things that Jeffrey Epstein did, but she is not Jeffrey Epstein. And I 100% disagree with this because Ghislaine Maxwell acted as the enabler. She brought these women to Jeffrey Epstein, and yes, he committed those acts, but she 100% is guilty for bringing these women to him. She egged it on, she encouraged it, and she's guilty for that. So the defense attorney's statement is already incorrect and just random. The defense attorney also made a weird reference to James Bond, saying that, quote, in many regards, he was like a 21st century James Bond. His mystery has stirred interest. Really? You're going to compare a convicted pedophile to James Bond? Are you kidding me? So essentially, this case is based on three things, memory, manipulation, and money. 
Now, the defense attorney had her own story to tell within her opening statements about one of the women who would end up testifying later in this week. And the young girl goes by the cover name of Jane, and she talks about how this woman was a successful actor who's now in her early 40s and has appeared on soap operas, movies, and reality TV shows. And so she claims that this victim is essentially going up on the stand and playing a role, which is so sick and so disgusting for you to claim that this victim is just playing a role. And she also went on to attack the credibility of three other accusers, who would be the other women who are going to testify later on in the week as well. She claims that their testimonies aren't valid considering their stories have changed over the years due to having many, many interviews with the FBI and the police, and because they all happen to get payouts from the victim's fund set up by Epstein's estate after he passed away. So towards the end of the day, the prosecution ends up calling its first witness, which was Epstein's longtime personal pilot, Larry Vysoski. So his testimony actually starts on day two, and Mr. Vysoski claims that he flew two different planes for Epstein that were personal private jets, and as well as being Epstein's personal pilot, and he had a 25-year-long friendship with Epstein that actually offered a revealing glimpse inside the daily life of Epstein himself, and not just like a business relationship. Now, Epstein was constantly on the move between New York, Palm Beach, New Mexico, his private island in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and his apartment in Paris. And the pilot basically took the jurors on a tour of each of Epstein's homes, describing in detail the layouts, the features, and the characters of each based on the numerous times he had stayed in them over the years, and the fact that he even installed a home entertainment system and movie theater in each. Now, this private pilot also flew helicopters for Epstein, and this helicopter was the same one that ended up taking people to the Virgin Islands, which this island was named Little St. James. That was talked about in the documentary. I don't know if you've seen that. I definitely recommend going and watching it on Netflix. But the reason this man's testimony is so important is because he also remembers Flying Jane, who he said to appear to be a mature woman with piercing blue eyes. But he denied ever seeing any sexual impropriety on both the flights and inside the house. And because this man was a father of two girls who met and spent time with Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell, he said he would have quit his job and made sure his daughters never saw them again had he been aware of the abuse of the minors. Now, day two in the afternoon, after the pilot's testimony, Jane comes and takes the stand. And her testimony begins with her talking about how she met both Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell at the age of 14 at an art school over the summer. And she said that Epstein told her that he was a major donor to the schools and gave out scholarships to gifted art students. She said, quote, he seemed very interested to know what I thought about the camp and what my favorite classes were. So when they heard that Jane was from Palm Beach, Florida, where Epstein also owned a mansion there, he asked for her mother's phone number. So step number one, if you're talking to a stranger, much less a creepy, creepy man, please do not give him your mother's phone number. That is completely uncalled for. Now, at the time, Jane was grieving the death of her father, so... It forced the family to sell its home, and she was sleeping in a bed with her mother in a pool house at their friend's house at the time she met Epstein. And we'll talk about this more in a minute, but Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein had a habit of targeting very vulnerable women who were in very bad situations growing up. Very bad financial situations, very bad family situations, and this is how they really reeled in their victims, because their victims were very dependent on Ghislaine and Epstein. Now she said on her very first few visits to Epstein's mansion in Palm Beach, 
She was absolutely amazed by the way the mansion looked, and she said that Epstein would constantly boast about his money and connections that he had. And she claims that Ghislaine Maxwell was a quirky, sisterly figure to her. Now, Jane talks about how the sexual abuse first took place when she was alone with Epstein, and then it later graduated to involve Ghislaine Maxwell herself, and later on, older other women. Now, I've obviously heard about Epstein abusing women, but I haven't heard claims of Ghislaine Maxwell doing it. So with this trial coming out and all these details coming out, I'm not surprised at all whatsoever that Ghislaine Maxwell was also probably most likely sexually abusing these women as well. That just makes it like 10 times more disgusting. I don't know how much more gross and sick this can get. So Jane says that she was flown in Epstein's private jet to New York and Santa Fe, New Mexico, where she was forced to perform sex acts on Epstein as well. Now, day three is when the defense attorney decides to come up and cross-examine Jane's testimony and try to punch holes in it. She claims that her stories have changed between the times that she's testified to the FBI and the stories that she's telling on the stand. The prosecution did not put up with this for long and objectified multiple times, claiming that the defense was deliberately trying to confuse Jane with a vague line of questions that didn't clearly state whether she was being asked to recall a memory or what she had actually told the FBI. And defense attorneys do this a lot whenever they're cross-examining. They just try to confuse whoever's on the stand as much as possible to get them to twist their words. And I mean, if you're a defense attorney, it's a good tactic. If you're the person on the stand, it's just a terrible experience. But throughout all of this cross-examining, Jane remained very, very strong up on the stand and either replied, I don't recall, or said the memory is not linear. Because of all the stress she was under, Jane broke down and said that it had been difficult to tell a room full of strangers the most shameful, deepest secrets that she had been carrying around with her her whole life. But she said that gradually she became more comfortable recounting her story and began to feel like she could trust the government investigators. Now, at the end of her testimony, she does claim that she was never ordered to have sex with Epstein's associates or to recruit other girls, which is an issue that's involved in the other women's testimonies because, like I said, this is a big pyramid scheme because many, many of the women would be asked to bring back their friends or bring back their classmates to Epstein's mansion in order to participate in the other sex acts with Epstein himself. Now, day four is when the Epstein's Palm Beach housekeeper comes up and testifies, and his name was Juan Alessi, and he ran Epstein's Palm Beach estate between 1991 and 2002, and he took the stand to talk about a bunch of stunning revelations within the inner workings of the mansion. He was basically a live-in housekeeper who also acted as a cleaner, a chef, a driver, and a handyman of the property. He claims that he initially enjoyed a cordial relationship with Epstein, but says that his wealthy boss grew more and more distant over the years and handed over day-to-day -day running of the household to Ghislaine Maxwell. He told the jury of the degrading work conditions imposed on the staff by the lady of the house. He claims that she would sometimes only give staff a couple of hours notice that she and Epstein would be visiting and then send them into a complete panic as they would begin an extensive preparation that was planned out by a 58-page household manual distributed to the staff. One of these tasks that they point out was making sure that Epstein's luxury vehicles were stocked with $100 bills in every car. Are you kidding me? Are you absolutely kidding me right now? Under the section titled Grooming and Guest Relations, they were told to see nothing, hear nothing, say nothing, except to answer a question directed towards you. Staff was also told not even to look at Epstein while they spoke to him. Now, Mr. Alessi talks about how Epstein would receive three massages a day from different women in the morning, the afternoon, and late at night. And then when he would go to clean up after Epstein's massages, he would often find sex toys and have to wash them. He would place them in a basket 
And in the basket, there was also apparently a bunch of pornographic tapes and a leather black costume. He also testified that he picked up Jane multiple times from outside her school and home and drove her to the Palm Beach estate. This took place around sometime between 1994, and that would have made Jane 14 years old. Now, day five started out with the cross-examination of Juan Alessi, and the defense attorney decides to ask him about orders given by Epstein to remove all the photos of Ghislaine before he hosted other female guests. So essentially, the housekeeper was ordered to remove every photo of Ghislaine Maxwell before Jeffrey Epstein would have any female over to the house. And Mr. Alessi claims that he was told to take down the pictures about three or four times a day. Later in that afternoon on day five, Jeffrey Epstein's famous massage table was introduced into evidence. It was a green table that was confiscated by law enforcement from Epstein's mansion way back in 2005, and it was actually brought into the courtroom and shown to the jury. The jury was also shown a police video of a raid on the Palm Beach property on October 20th of 2005. Now, day six is when victim number two, who goes under the name of Kate, starts to testify. And she is now a 44-year-old British woman who claims she'd first given sexual massages to Epstein at the age of 17 in his townhome in London. Now, she personally claims that one day she walked into her bedroom and found a schoolgirl's outfit on her bed when she asked where all of her other clothes were. And she said that Ghislaine told her that she thought it was a good idea to take Jeffrey his tea in those clothes. Now, Kate said she didn't know how to say no, and Ghislaine told her that she was a good girl and that he was one of her favorites. Sick. Absolutely sick. Now, Kate continued to see Epstein into her 30s because she was fearful of disengaging because of how well-connected he and Ghislaine Maxwell were. Remember, he had a lot of connections and he had a lot of money. And this type of manipulation is the absolute worst. You are scaring your victims into submission. So on the very first day that she visited Epstein... Kate said that Ghislaine Maxwell led her upstairs into a dimly lit room with a massage table and towels where Epstein was waiting. He then took off his robe and was naked as she entered the room. Ghislaine then handed her some massage oil and closed the door, leaving the two of them alone. That's when she said Epstein initiated sexual contact, as he would on every other occasion that she gave him a massage. Now, over the next few years, Kate traveled to Epstein's island and his Palm Beach mansion very sporadically. She claims that Epstein was very demanding and needed sex about three times a day. Here's a quote from Kate talking about the kind of conversations she had with Ghislaine Maxwell. She said, quote, I almost felt like she was talking like she was younger than me, which was odd. Everything was silly. Everything was very exciting. Everything seemed to be like a fun, silly joke. Now, Kate also claims that she continued to visit Epstein even after she lost contact with Ghislaine Maxwell and saw him as many as five times a year into her 30s. Now, the sexual contact did stop in her early 30s after she had her first child, though. But like she said, she was fearful to disengage because she understood how connected they both were. By day seven, the third victim came up and gave her testimony as well. And her testimony is important because she claims that Ghislaine Maxwell would inspect her body for Epstein and his friends. Now, this third victim went under the name of Carolyn, and she testified that she gave Epstein more than 100 sexualized massages at the Palm Beach estate beginning when she was about 14 years old. And on one occasion, Caroline testified that she was groped by Ghislaine Maxwell in the massage room at Epstein's Palm Beach mansion. She said, quote, she came in and felt my boobs and my hips and my butt and said, I had a great body for Mr. Epstein and his friends. Now, Carolyn told the court that she had endured a very abusive and dysfunctional childhood, her mother was an alcoholic, and she had been sexually abused by her grandfather from the age of four. Now, Carolyn was actually recruited by one of her 18-year-old friends, and this is where the pyramid scheme comes in that I was talking about. 
Her friend basically showed her how to prepare the massage table and oils and showed her how Epstein liked to be massaged. And after the first visit, she claims that Ghislaine Maxwell arranged for her to come to Epstein's Palm Beach estate alone by calling her. Then she said Ghislaine would call and set up appointment times. She was given a lot of money and a lot of gifts in order to continue engaging with these people. And she even says that Epstein asked her to recruit other young girls to give him sexualized massages as well. She said, quote, He asked me if I had any friends that were my age or younger, and I told him that I didn't hang out with younger people, but I did have some friends that I could ask. Carolyn said that she brought a friend to Epstein's house and she was paid $600 and her friend received $300. She even says that on another occasion, she was paid $500 to $600 to take naked photos for Epstein. And those photos were taken by one of Epstein's assistants. After day seven was wrapped up, one of the prosecutors told the judge that they intended to wrap up their case by the end of the week. And I'm sorry, but after week one, that is way too early to wrap up a case like this. Like, it's one thing to wrap up the Kyle Rittenhouse trial for about, I don't know, what did it take, one to two weeks? But this case, this is a federal court case involving hundreds of people, hundreds of elites, politicians, celebrities, all of it. And you cannot wrap up something like this in a week. This case was originally set to last for six weeks, and this would significantly shorten the length of the trial if they were to wrap it up within the first week. Now, on day eight, there was a second pilot who testified that he actually flew these victims in the private jet. The chief pilot's name was David Rogers, and he recalled how he flew Epstein on thousands of flights between 1991 and 2019, and that Ghislaine Maxwell had joined him on hundreds of those trips. Now, these flight logs were entered into evidence, but the names that were on there had been redacted, so you can't see the people who were actually on the plane. But there were some leaked that I remember reading about on Twitter not too long ago that had a bunch of celebrities who were exposed for flying on this private jet. Now, David Rogers had full authority to name whatever famous celebrities, politicians, or musicians were on as passengers, but he chose not to. And I feel like that was such a missed opportunity because, like I said, we kind of have an idea of the types of people that we're riding on here, but why not just spill it all out on the table? Why not just expose all these people? I get it. You're scared. You're probably scared that these people are going to find out that you expose them. But seriously, think about the severity of this case. Think about how intense this is. He goes on to claim that he actually recognized the first victim who testified, who went under the name of Jane, for the first time in 1996. He said he knew it was her because of the date that was on the flight logs. The pilot said that he was able to walk freely into the cabins during the flights and never actually saw any signs of sexual activity and was unaware of any girls under the age of 17 flying accompanied by a parent or guardian. Now, as far as day-by-day -day updates go, that's pretty much it. But there is another article talking about a little black book that contains the names and addresses of nearly 2,000 wealthy and powerful figures, and that little black book will remain a secret. The defense attorneys came to an agreement with the prosecutors over the weekend to not release the 97-page directory to the public. Are you kidding me? Why is that not something you'd want to release? This is all we've been waiting for. You have a little black book. It has 2,000 people's names in it, and you won't release it to the public. Are you freaking kidding me? So apparently the judge previously stated she wanted to avoid needless name-dropping during the trial. But or is it name-dropping, or is it just sending out a mass warning against the elite, massive pedophile ring that's going on within Hollywood right now? Now, some of the names we're familiar with, like the Clintons and Prince Andrew, but there's about 2,000 more that we don't have any idea who they are. 
there was a redacted version of the book that was published online in 2015. So I said a little bit ago, but I guess that was a little bit longer ago. Um, but that, I believe, is the thing that circulated around on Twitter and social media in general. So this Thursday, the attorneys claim that they have a plan to call up about 35 witnesses in her defense. And there are about three of them who have requested to testify anonymously. So overall, that's pretty much all I have so far on the case. I wouldn't mind doing another episode just to give you updates, especially when the case closes. But I want to thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Sorry that I missed last week. I wanted to put this one together and I did record it once, but I really wanted to re-record it and make it better for y'all. Um, make sure you're following the Instagram at what's your point pod and make sure you're following my personal at the Kaylee Campbell. Also, if you're listening on YouTube, make sure to hit that subscribe button and the notification bell so you get notified every single time I post. And yeah, I'll have another episode next week as well. Um, I'm going to America Fest in like two days, so I'm going to have to edit another episode on the plane, but I'm very excited. It's going to be cool. And yeah, I love y'all so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.